The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. So I want to start us off this morning with a quick survey question. Just raise your hand if this is true for you and your experience. I want to ask how many of you at some point in your lives have been parented. Right, okay, so everyone. I'm not going to ask how well you were parented because I don't want to start any fights this morning. Some of us are here with our parents. I do want to add another layer to this question. You don't have to raise your hand for this one, but I want to invite you also to think a little bit about how many of you were parented by people who were not your parents at some point in your life? Maybe they were people who didn't live in the same house that you grew up in. They weren't biologically related to you. Maybe they weren't even married to someone biologically related to you. They might have been a teacher or an athletic coach or someone in your spiritual community. Someone in the wider world who helped to raise you and make you who you are. I know that for me, there were lots of extra parents in my life. There was my mom and my dad and my stepdad, but there were also a whole host of people who showed up, who helped out being kind of a second mom or a second dad for me at different times in my life. They were teachers, they were coaches, they were the parents of my friends. It's an enormous task raising a new person into adulthood. But it's also one that we all have experience with, whether we've been parented or whether we've helped to parent. It is a world that we all have some kind of entry point into. And today's message is going to be brought to you in large part by parenting. I'm not a parent, but I did just turn 30 in September. And so I have a lot of friends, peers who are having kids becoming parents for the first time. And of course, where this shows up for me most often is on my Facebook newsfeed, right? The way that the internet is changing parenting is such that children and kids are being raised online. We're seeing all of these moments. I see baby pictures galore every single day. I actually had a friend who gave birth about two weeks ago, and I saw pretty much in real time the baby, the newborn baby in the delivery room, meeting her grandparents for the first time, being held, getting into the car seat, driving home for the first time. I, I got to be there, in a way, for all of it. I want to show you one picture that actually kind of even pushed me a little bit. I'm a legit millennial. I'm part of the millennial generation that's supposed to be used to all this. But I have another friend from high school who a couple weeks ago posted this picture on her Facebook. I don't know if you can see, it's a little dark. This is an ultrasound. This baby hasn't been born yet, and it's already on Facebook. <laughs> it's been on Facebook before it's entered the actual human world. <laughs> like I said, this, this even pushed me a little bit to think about how the information age is changing the way we parent. But I think that there are really beautiful things about this change as well. I think one of the things that I've seen is parents sharing stories with each other, is people who are raising children supporting one another online and talking about their experiences openly. 
One of the other things that came across my Facebook newsfeed earlier this year was an article by a friend of mine, Robin, who is also a Unitarian minister, the Reverend Robin Bartlett. And she's also a third-time new mom. She just had a baby boy, and she has two older daughters who are three and seven. And Robin runs the children and youth programs at a UU church up in Massachusetts. And so she runs a blog as part of that where she talks about what's going on in those programs, and she also shares her experiences as a parent with other parents in the congregation. And so she posted this story in January about her youngest daughter, Eloisa, who's three, and how she's trying to work with Eloisa to help her deal with something, a challenging issue that she's struggling with that some of us might remember from our childhood, fear. For Eloisa, this is manifesting right now as an intense phobia of bugs. Bugs, big, gross bugs, just like this one. I had the same phobia when I was her age. Robin is raising her kids in Boston, so she says they're city girls. They don't get a lot of exposure. They don't go outside a lot and really kind of get into the outdoors. But still, every so often, Robin needs to leave the house with her children, and she's running into a small problem, which is that whenever Eloisa leaves the house, she becomes terrified that a bug might come into some kind of contact with her. And if she even so much as thinks too much about it, or if she sees a bug anywhere kind of in her line of sight, she's completely frozen. She's terrified. She'll burst into hysterical tears. Now, seeing as Robin is an adult human being who needs to leave the house with her children sometimes, she's been trying to work with Eloisa on this fear. And she's taken to repeating a mantra with Eloisa. She'll say, Eloisa, we share the world with bugs. You have to get used to it. You have to share the world. We have to share the world with bugs. She said it so much that Robin has noticed her daughter repeating it. She'll repeat it to her older sister, Cecilia. When Cecilia is complaining about some kind of itchy bug bite, she'll say, Cecilia, we share the world with bugs. You have to get used to it. But more importantly, Robin has noticed that she she has started to repeat this mantra to herself. She'll repeat it to herself when she's outside, when she needs to calm herself down. She'll mutter it under her breath. We share the world with bugs. We share the world with bugs. Now, ever since I read this story, I've been feeling a little bit like Robin might be parenting me right now because I've been trying to use the same strategy with some of the things that are frustrating me in my life. I've been trying to repeat to myself over the past few weeks, we share the world with ice. (laughs) Right? Can I get an amen? Lord, do we ever share the world with ice and snow right now? And it doesn't really make me any happier, but it does calm me down a little bit. It does kind of help bring me back to the present. Because, of course, the purpose of this mantra isn't to fix anything or change anything about our situation. It's just to remind us that there are things that we share the world with that are inconvenient, that we don't like very much. And no one is asking us to like them. We don't have to like them. But we do have to work with them 
because they're true. We share the world with bugs and ice and other hard things. We share the world with all kinds of inconvenient and scary and dangerous things. Last week, Reverend Ken talked a little bit in this message series about recognizing this, how sometimes we have to say, hello, darkness, my old friend. We have to be willing to say, here I am in my life, in my experience, owning what's true for us, sharing the world that we're in right now with bugs and ice and meanness and fear and pain and hurt and all of those things that we can't always run from. But we also have to begin to work with it. Beyond recognition and beyond the refusal to run, there's another step here. Because if we want to grow as people, if we want to cultivate our gifts, if we want to thrive, if we want to have any hope of guiding someone else through this life, one of those new people, we are called to work with our lives. We are called to get in there. And we have to pay attention to the hard things and to how we share the world with them. It is not always our first instinct when we see a hard thing to take a proactive approach. That's the understatement of the century, right? I would say out of 100 chances I had last week to respond proactively to the frustration I felt with the ice, I took maybe 3 or 4% of those chances. Most of the time I was grumpy and I complained and I kind of shut myself in my apartment and made biscuits and <laughs> pretended it wasn't happening. We can get mired and caught up in a lot of other kinds of reactions to hard things. We can get caught up in immaturity. I don't want to share the world with ice. I don't want to share the world with hard things. That was me like 60% of the time last week. We can get caught up in self-pity or martyrdom. I'm sharing the world with this hard thing, and I guess it's just my cross to bear. It's not very helpful either. We can get caught up in fatalism. We can give up. I'm sharing the world with this hard thing, and it's too hard. I don't know what to do. I can't do anything about it. Completely overwhelming. We can get caught up in isolating ourselves. When we share the world with hard things, we can start to say, I'm just going to kind of get myself together as best as possible, and I'll be over here, away from all those hard things. This was me all last week when I was saying I was going to move to Florida. It's not very realistic. Because, of course, we know that when taken together, there is no away from all of these hard things. When we acknowledge that we share the world with hard things, we're taking the first step toward remembering that we have power in bad situations. We have power to calm ourselves in the present moment and be with what's true, and be with what we are experiencing. We have power to transform 
that moment for the better. One of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings is that we live and we trust in gardens of abundance and joy. We believe that we can find the potential for new life in these things. We believe that we can work together to help create the conditions for growth. That's not just in the Garden of Eden, folks. That's also outside in the Garden of Ice and Snow. I had a professor in seminary named Elizabeth Schusler Fiorenza. She's a very spiky German woman. And she was also one of the leading feminist biblical scholars in America. I was very lucky to be able to take two classes with her. And she taught me one of the most useful things I've actually ever learned. She taught me an incredibly useful way to talk about power, specifically how we use power to work with pain and suffering and injustice. She talks about three types of power that we can use. Power over, power to, and power with. Power over is the power of control, of being able to determine the outcome. And power over looks pretty darn good when we're dealing with hard things, right? If Eloisa were outside and saw a bug on the ground, and she decided to use power over, what do you think she would do? Mm -hmm. Problem solved, right? <laughs> is, is the problem solved? Or is the symptom of the problem solved? Because sure, when we can become powerful enough, sometimes we can stop these hard things from happening. And sometimes that's actually really important for our safety. But there are also some holes in this argument. What happens when the next bug comes along? Stomp. There's a lot of bugs in this world, though. I don't think she's going to be able to get to all of them. What happens when a bug comes along that she doesn't know how to kill? It flies too fast or it's too big. What happens to her fear, most importantly? Does she ever overcome it? Or is she always acting from that fearful place? Now, power to and power with are different from each other, but they have more in common with each other than they do with power over. My professor, Elizabeth, would have argued that power over ultimately only leads to destruction and separation. But power to and power with bring us closer to things that we share the world with. Power to and power with are keys to opening up ways for us to transform these things together. I like to think of power too as sort of the power of charity. So if Eloisa were inside and saw a spider on the floor, with power too, maybe she'd get a jar, right? She'd get a nice little jar, put some grass in it, make it look all hospitable, and get the bug to climb inside, and then take it outside and dump it on the grass. Not a bad outcome. She's still kind of in charge. She's still kind of deciding the terms of the situation. But she is helping everyone prevent a much worse situation. And there's definitely some value in that. Power with is where we start to get into the real heart work of transformation. Power with is where we begin to transform 
our relationship to these hard things in our world. If Eloisa were going to use power with, she might talk to her mom. She might go to the library and check out a book. She might learn which bugs are dangerous and which ones are not. And when she knows it's safe, when she can calm herself, then she might be able to hold this amazing creation in her hand. Look at that thing. It's kind of cool. She won't have to miss out on the beauty that's all around her. Power with is what this message series is all about. It's the riskiest kind of power. And with great risk comes great rewards, right? It has the biggest potential payoff. We won't always have the strength to use power with. It requires the most trust and faith and support from those around us. But we'll know that we're using power with when we allow each other to move closer, when we take risks, when we reach out to care for one another, when we support the growth of new life and new people. Power with is a proactive response. It doesn't just react, it pays a lot of attention. It begins to transform how we see hard things. The power of with is what helps a little girl afraid of bugs begin to feel capable in this world. Now with all these themes around parenting and suffering in this message, I feel that I would be remiss if I didn't show you at least one picture from the Why My Kid Is Crying blog. <laughs> some of you know this blog. I see some nods. It's a Tumblr, which is a, a blog that allows all different kinds of people to post pictures. And so this particular Tumblr is for parents of young children, usually toddlers, who post images of their toddlers in the throes of toddler agony <laughs> over things that we as adults might feel are somewhat minor or silly. And part of why I love it is because it is kind of a beautiful thing. It perfectly captures this frustration of our first days of learning what we share the world with. All of those bad and scary and inconvenient things that we have to spend the rest of our lives adjusting to. And so as people who are adjusted to it, it's kind of funny. This is my favorite picture from this blog. Upset boy, very calm girl, in a shopping cart. And at the top it says, he didn't want to share his leg hole. <laughs> he is really suffering right now. He is really struggling with this. He really does not want to share his leg hole with his sister. I assume it's his sister. But part of why I love this picture, right, is because she is very calm. <laughs> and she's probably not always the rock in their relationship. She might be losing it over something else in 10 minutes, right? But for right now, she will share the world with him. And he's kind of a hard thing right now. He's really resisting. He really wants to run away. But she'll work with it. She'll work with what's there. Her willingness to respond and not react is going a long way 
towards transforming that moment. If not for him, then certainly for the mom or dad who's probably pushing that cart. Sometimes sharing the world with each other is the most important thing that we can do for one another. And there's real power there in being together with our struggles. If we can move beyond just recognition to work with these hard things, if we can calm ourselves in the present moment and really be with what we're experiencing, then maybe we can remember our power to transform some of these moments for the better. I want to end with one final story that's not about a parent. It is about a teacher. It's from another blog. All my sources are internet sources this week. Sorry, guys. <laughs> called Momastery, a blog that a lot of you parents in this congregation have introduced me to. The woman who writes this blog is talking about a meeting that she had with her son Chase's teacher. And the teacher shared a strategy that she uses with her class. I'm going to read to you from the blog. Every Friday afternoon, Chase's teacher asks her students to take out a piece of paper and write down the names of four children with whom they'd like to sit the following week. The children know that these requests may or may not be honored. She also asks the students to nominate one student whom they believe has been an exceptional classroom citizen that week. All ballots are submitted privately to her. And every single Friday afternoon, after the students go home, Chase's teacher takes out those slips of paper and she spreads them out in front of her on her desk. And she studies them. She looks for patterns. Who is not getting requested by anyone else? Who doesn't even know who to request? Who never gets noticed enough to be nominated? Who had a million friends last week and none this week? Chase's teacher is not looking for a new seating chart or for nominees for exceptional classroom citizen. She's looking for kids who are alone. She's looking for kids who no one seems to want to share the world with this week. And she makes a commitment just until next Friday to share her world with them. She makes a commitment to teach them how to make friends, to try to help them join a group, to help them love and share and appreciate their gifts, what they have to offer. She works to help them feel capable in this world. She uses her power as a teacher in that classroom with them. And when Chase's mom asked how long she'd been using the system, she said, ever since Columbine. Yeah, every single Friday since Columbine. This teacher recognized that we share the world with pain rooted so deep sometimes that it seeks to lash out and to hurt and harm. That this is where that cycle starts. This is how the bug gets smashed. It starts way before when the fear and the pain 
And the discomfort leads not to a proactive response, but to isolation and disconnection. And so where we can, where it's safe, I hope that we can all try our best to share the world with that screaming, hysterical child. I hope that we can all try to work with the bugs and the fear and the unfairness to find the potential for new life within it. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit of sunshine, of ice and snow, of bugs and beauty, of wood and trees and leaves, of all of us together. We're grateful for the opportunities that are given for us to remember that we are not alone, that we don't have to choose isolation. We're grateful for the opportunity to do this every Sunday. And we're also grateful for the faith that you, as the spirit of all these things, are also with us always. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.